morning. You may be seated. Great to be together in the house of God. And if you're watching online, what a joy it is again to gather together around God's word to receive what he has to say for us, say to us this morning. Are you ready to receive God's word this morning? Wonderful. We're continuing today in this series of messages titled, A More Excellent Way. And as you'll remember, this was a phrase that the Apostle Paul used when he was wanting to help believers at Corinth who were really struggling with some big life issues. He wants to show them a more excellent way that they had ignored possibly they didn't even know about. They'd placed all of their attention and all of their investments in spiritual gifts and knowledge and the acquirement of wisdom. But Paul comes to them and he sees that all with all of their gifting and all of their wisdom and all of their knowledge, they still aren't cutting it. They're still struggling to live life. So he comes to them as a father and he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And we've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and really that's where Paul begins to really unfurl this incredible, glorious life that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. He calls it a more excellent way, the more excellent way of love. And throughout this chapter, Paul is showing them a brand new way to live, a brand new way to be a human being. He wants them to discover and see by experience this glorious life of Christ breaking out in action in everyday life situations, practically really getting down into reality and seeing the glory of God's life in them. He wants them to discover their destiny in Christ. He's not revealing to them a dry drudgery or a method of discipline. No, Paul is opening the door for them to see their destiny in Christ Jesus and how powerfully it can be unpacked in daily life. The possibilities of this new life that Paul shows them is endless undefeatable. Why? Because he talks about this more excellent way, not ever failing, not ever stumbling at the obstacles and the situations, the nitty-gritty of life circumstances. It's this more excellent way that never fails, that will take you through, that will lead you on, that will always provide a way of escape. God's way in every situation of life. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians. We're going to start here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this week, we're going to concentrate on verses 4 through to verse 8. We, hopefully, we're going to just cover a little section as we introduce this this morning. And then on from this in the next few weeks, we're going to cover some more of it. But Let's start here. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this. Love is patient, suffers long, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, 
thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It's quite amazing that in just these four verses, in these four short verses really, Paul gives us 15 attributes of God's wonderful love. They're on perfect display for us to see. Yet Paul isn't just setting out this picture of love for us to admire. No, he is showing us what the life of Christ in us looks like. When you look at this chapter and specifically these verses, these four verses grammatically, we see that Paul doesn't use any adjectives when speaking about God's love. And that's important for this reason, because Paul isn't trying to describe what love is. He doesn't want to leave any one of us with a definition or description about love. So he fills these four short verses full of verbs, doing words, not describing words to define love, but verbs that emphasize how real love is lived out, how it manifests in daily life. When Paul thinks about God's love in the human heart, he thinks of it in terms of action, attitude, and behavior. Paul has no room for abstract theoretical definitions. Instead, he wants us to know what love looks like when we see it and experience it. And we're not talking about some kind of hot and cold MTV love here. We're not talking about falling in love. We're talking about the very love of God that you can never be separated from. The very love of God that covers and immerses your life. God's pleasure, God's grace, God's goodness on you. Paul isn't into definitions, isn't into descriptions. He's concerned for this church, concerned for these believers that are hitting the hurdles hard. He doesn't want to leave them with a definition or a description to fill their head with more knowledge. He wants them to uncover the power of this more excellent way that's packed deeply inside them. As we read about these attributes in these verses that Paul is written about, it's important also to note that they're written in the present continual tense. Paul is telling us that this more excellent way of love can be a way of life. We can walk in it continually in the same way that you would visit a gym. And I can see many of you this morning have visited the gym by your physique. 
But in the same way that you would consistently and continually visit a gym to build muscle, Paul is revealing that we can, through constant use, grow in this unconditional love that has been placed within our hearts. We can grow in it. So let's look at this first attribute that Paul highlights about God's love, the attribute of patience that's in you and I. It's in us. When you look at the Bible and patience in relation to the Bible, you see that it's greatly esteemed. Patience is the capacity to be injured without giving payback. It's being able to suffer long. Be impatient when others are hostile towards us, guards us against the long detours of resentment and bitterness, against retaliation and the need to get even. One of the meanings of this word is to be long-burning. Paul is saying that the more excellent way of love that's in you and I has a long-burning fuse with people. It doesn't just suddenly explode in front of everybody. Have you ever had an explosion personally? You've been angry. You haven't been able to take it any longer. And suddenly there's an outburst of anger. Suddenly you give way and give vent to your feelings. And all of this stuff comes out of your mouth and it explodes over everybody. Of course, we all have. We're all well experienced and well aware of the opposites to this wonderful attribute of God's love, patience. But Paul says, I want to show you, I want to open up the door to reveal to you that there's a more excellent way in which you can walk this way of love. There's a number of uses for this word patience in the New Testament. One of them is where we are patient with circumstances. Circumstances may not be going your way. You want to move beyond them and you're waiting to see things get better so that you can enter into that fruitful, abundant season again. Beyond the difficulty, beyond the obstacles, beyond the hardship. You're being patient in circumstances, waiting to move on. But Paul is not instructing us here to be patient with circumstance. When Paul says that love is patient or long-suffering, he's specifically using this word in the context of being patient with people. Being patient with one another. Suffering long when people mistreat you for no apparent reason. Now he, remember he's trying to help those at Corinth because they were really struggling in this area of patience. And Paul is being so practical. Their heads are in the clouds but Paul has got his feet firmly planted on the ground. And he wants to help them. He wants to show them the love that's in them that can be operating in their relationships. They were angry with one another. They were taking each other to court. They were contending and competing with one another. What was the answer? Love, be 
being patient in the situation. Patience was despised by the ancient Greeks and something that wouldn't have been desired by those at Corinth. The heroes of the time would have been those who had aggressive strength, those who would be able to retaliate quickly and avenge their enemy. In fact, Aristotle, the great philosopher, taught that one of the greatest Greek virtues was the refusal to tolerate insult and injury, to strike back in retaliation at the slightest offense. And this is what was happening in the church at Corinth. The culture of the world, the culture of the city was creeping in to the life of the believers in the kingdom of God. And Paul comes out and he says, guys, it's not what you think it is. Love is patient. It doesn't strike back. It doesn't retaliate. It's not aggressive, he says. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, said, this word patience is used of a man who is wronged, that has it easily within his power to avenge himself, but he will never do it. Patience is not the absence of strength, he writes. It's the refusal to use it vengefully. This is what we see in Jesus. There's no greater person that emanates patience other than Jesus in perfect form, facing the darkest moments of his life when hanging on the cross in utter weakness and terrible shame, Jesus held, at that point of complete weakness, Jesus held absolute power to call 12 legions of angels to wipe out all of his enemies in an instant forever. But in meekness, Jesus suffered long. In meekness, Jesus was patient as he cried from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't explode in vengeance, but in forgiveness he cried. This is undefeatable patience, unfailing patience. Love, Paul says, suffers long. The Apostle Paul, like Peter, calls our attention to the example of Jesus and how in patience he suffered bearing our sins in his body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 24 says this, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by those by whose stripes you were healed what is peter saying he's saying the same level of love that enabled jesus to die on the cross in utter weakness to endure all of the insults and all of the beatings and all of the terrible shame and the horror of it all that same very love has been poured out in our hearts enabling us to understand his, his example and walk in his ways we can grow in patience and it is a journey and it is a development but the love of god resides in each one of us and enables us and empowers us to walk in this way one of the great atheists of the 19th century was a man by the name of robert ingersoll he was a popular speaker who would often deny and dispute the existence of god in his talks he would give his speeches and he would always come to a moment in his talks where he would defiantly say if god exists i will give him 5 minutes to strike me dead for all of the things that i've said today then he would take out his watch and set it to 5 minutes waiting to be struck down by god after the 5 minutes had elapsed he would defiantly say see i've proved it god doesn't exist because he can't even strike me down for contending with him on one occasion a wise perceptive believer remarked does mr ingersoll think that he can exhaust the eternal patience of god in just 5 minutes hallelujah the lord that's it that's it the lord suffers long and is patient the fact that god didn't strike him dead brought god glory to peter chapter 3 verse 9 confirms this peter says this the lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think no he is being patient for your sake he does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent isn't it wonderful god's patience God suffers long with each and every one of us. He knows where we've come from. He knows all of the baggage that we carry. And yet in spite of that, he sees what he's planned for us. And moment by moment, he tenderly takes us up and helps us with all of those things that we struggle with. And slowly as we walk with him, they're taken away. And this new life unfolds and breaks forth for us to see. After Paul shows us that love is patient, he moves on by saying that love is kind. Love when injured responds with kindness and 
goodness. Love is not just passive in that it's patient. Patience restrains and controls our emotions. But Paul here is saying that at the same time, love is not just passive, but it's active. It acts positively in kindness in the most negative circumstances. That's the power of it. That's what Paul reveals to these believers. He wants them to understand it and encounter it in a very real, tangible, practical way in everyday life. We look again at Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, talking about Jesus. It says this, Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all, the innocent for the guilty, to bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. On the cross, Jesus just didn't passively suffer and passively die. The cross was the highest expression of God's kindness to rescue us from sin and to restore us into right relationship with Him. Peter says this, the innocent for the guilty, to bring you near to God by His body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. It's not your prayer or your works or your discipline regime that brings you close to God. Peter says, what brings you close to God is the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. All of those other things are great. But you're near to God because of what He's done, not because of what you can do. It's a settled matter. There'll never be any distance between you and God. Only the distance that possibly we create in our mind through the thoughts that, and the doubts that we have sometimes. But as far as God is concerned, we're near to Him because of what Jesus has done. And this is the ultimate act of kindness. This is the ultimate expression of His goodness when he died on the cross. Romans 2, verse 4, Paul again talking about this wonderful kindness of God, says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Paul is showing us that love always finds the opportunity to be kind when there's absolutely no valid reason to warrant it love comes forward and acts in kindness even to those who would hurt it even to those who would be hostile towards it it can't help itself this is the love of God this is what God did in Christ when he died for us, when we were enemies against him. Love just came into our world and was kind. And that same love is in you. That same love, that same power is in your heart. And we can access it. This is the wonderful thing that Paul reveals. 
Then on next from this, he showed us that love is patient. He showed us that love is kind. Now he's going to show us that love does not envy. Well, in that church in Corinth, they were full of envy, full of jealousy. And the Greek word for envy means to boil over. This church was at boiling point. You read from chapter 1 through to chapter 12, man, it's at boiling point. It's about to explode. And just like, you know, when that pot is on a stove and the gas is turned up full and the contents of the pot, let's say it's water, is boiling and bubbling and spitting and spilling over the sides. That's what envy's like. That's exactly how it works. Someone gets blessed and then thoughts and emotions and feelings are triggered. They start to bubble over. They start to spit. And before you know it, everything's coming out just because a, a person is succeeding and getting ahead in life or some opportunity has been afforded to them that's going to be of great advantage. But envy cannot rejoice. Envy cannot be glad for the person that's receiving the blessing. Well, we've got to say this. God's ability to bless another person doesn't detract from his ability to bless you. We're all blessed by God. We don't have to envy one another or be jealous. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. When I was a little boy, I was thinking about this. One Christmas, my dad took me to the bicycle shop. Me and my brother. Mum and dad wanted to buy us new bikes. I was into bikes back then. And um, they wanted to buy us new bikes. We were so excited. So they took us to the bike shop to choose our bikes so that we'd have them for Christmas Day. Well, as soon as I walked in, I was just running around this shop. I remember it. And I saw this blue bike, shiny, brand new. And I just couldn't hold it in. Dad, this is a bike I want. This blue bike. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that it was blue and shiny and looked new, and that's the one I wanted. This is the one I want, Dad. This is fantastic. Brilliant, Dave. Then my brother, just a little bit older, walked around the shop and just peacefully said, oh, Dad, this is the bike I would like. And it was a green bike. Again, brand new. No real excitement, but just, you know, pensive. I'll take this one. Please, Dad, this green bike. Well, we were excited leaving the shop. Christmas Day came. Again, so excited. Run downstairs into the room. There's presents. And I, I look at my blue bike. Then I look at Jonathan's green bike. And I said, Dad. Yes, David. I don't want my blue bike. What do you mean, David? You don't want your blue bike. I want Jonathan's green bike. Oh, but David, I asked you if you wanted a blue bike. And I did say to you, if you want a green bike like Jonathan, like a wise dad would, if you want a green bike like Jonathan, you can have one, but you wanted a blue bike. No, I don't want a blue, I don't want a blue one anymore. I want my green one. That was my first experience 
with envy and jealousy. And it's not nice. It spills over. It spits out. Has there been other occasions? Oh, many. Many. Do you want to hear them? I keep you here all year. But Paul says you don't have to live with jealousy. You don't have to live in envy. This boiling pot that takes away your peace and your contentment and this beautiful, wonderful life that Jesus has given you. I want to show you a more excellent way and it's not envious. It can actually be so fulfilling when you see somebody else succeed that genuinely this love in your heart will rise to the fore and rejoice with them. That's what I want you to unpack in your life. This is what Paul was saying. You see, the awful thing about envy and jealousy is it causes us to be ungrateful with what we've been given. It also causes us to be angry over what others have received. And also then, it causes us to despise the gifts that we hold in our hearts. Paul says love doesn't envy. It doesn't boil over. It doesn't spit when others are succeeding or being promoted or blessed. It leads you in a more excellent way away from discontentment, away from a bitter spirit. This more excellent way protects you from the dead-end road of envy and jealousy. Next, Paul tells us that love does not boast, told us that love is not proud. Love is kind. Sorry, he's told us that uh, love is patient, told us that love is kind. He's told us that love doesn't envy, and now he's telling us that love doesn't boast. What he's saying is it doesn't parade itself. It doesn't parade its accomplishments in the face of others. It's content and at peace. It doesn't have to be the center of everybody's attention all the time. It's completely secure. Rather than boasting, love loves to listen and finds interest in putting others first. Now, Paul isn't saying that we can't celebrate our success. Paul isn't saying that we can't speak well of ourselves. But what he is saying is that love will never use personal success to belittle or berate another person. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't parade itself or make others feel inferior. This is the way that Paul was leading them in, the more excellent way, a way through all of the trappings of life, a way beyond all of the hurdles that they were hitting, a way of relational excellence where they could truly be that wonderful body connected together in unity, one mind, one heart, one spirit. This is the life that we have been afforded. This is the life that we have been given. And once we see its power beginning to unfold in our daily lives, we'll never go back to any other old alternative that we formerly 
lived in. Then finally, this is the final attribute that we're going to look at today and then on from here, maybe um, after next week, not next week, phase on next week, it's Mother's Day. We're going to have a great Sunday. But on after that, we'll, can, we'll pick some of these back up, some of these 15 attributes that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 13. But we'll look at this final one, pride. Paul says, love is not proud. Corinthian church prided themselves on wisdom and knowledge, understanding mysteries, interpreting prophecy. And that's all good. But it's not an end in itself. The Greek language has a very telling picture about this word pride. It means to be puffed up or inflated. Just like you would blow or inflate a balloon with air. So pride, Paul is telling us, can inflate us to be something far bigger than what we actually are. Proverbs 16, verse 18 and 19 says this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness or high-mindedness before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Just as we close this morning, a final final story found in the Old Testament. The first king of Israel, appointed by the people, anointed by God, was a man by the name of Saul, King Saul. And when he started out, he had an amazing beginning, Saul, because they, they wanted to find out where he was when they were going to inaugurate him into his office. And on this particular day, Paul was hiding away. He didn't want to become king, hiding away in humility amongst the luggage that the people had discarded. And they had to get a word from God to find out where Paul was hiding because they wanted to inaugurate him as their king. And God told them he's hiding amongst the baggage. They find him. And it's a wonderful scene, a wonderful beginning. How he sets out on his course as king of Israel. Such a humble beginning. But then sadly, over the years... His pride begins to grow. He becomes inflated. And, and in his mind, he has all of these delusions of grandeur. And he begins to do things that God does not want him to do. He begins to do things that God has explicitly said. As a king, he should not do. And he steps onto territory that he should never step onto because he's proud. And he begins to try to function as a priest. And suddenly, God leaves him. Because Saul knew exactly what he was doing. And his pride, his pride caused God to turn away from him and reject him. Sadly, at the end of his life, he fought a battle that he should have never fought. Because of pride. He went into battle not having God at his side. And finally, because the armies of Israel were 
defeated and were retreating, he fell on his own sword. His pride that had inflated him led sadly to his destruction. Wherever we are today in life, we may be struggling relationally with somebody and you're you're not knowing how to approach or what to do in the situation. Love is patient. You may think, well, I've used all of my patience up. Do you know what? There's a divine love in you and me that enables us to discover that patience suffers long. There's a a love within us that enables us to discover that the fuse of love with people doesn't burn quickly, but has great lengths and it goes to the distance. It enables us to follow Jesus in the same way that he walked, we can walk. Or we may falter, or we may fail, but every time we can get back up and renew our resolve to see this patience, this love work in all situations and in all manner of relationships that we may struggle with. It may be that people have been hostile to you and, you know, you're at loggerheads. What's the right course to take? It could be that love is calling you to be kind, to act with kindness with those who have seemingly struck you across the face and offended you. The next course, the next step, it seems impossible. It seems unbelievable that God would require it, but he only requires it because it's a more excellent way for you to walk in, experience him, and see the wonders of his life in your life. It could be that you're struggling with envy. That like a giant, it stalks you. Every time you think about another success, somebody close to you or a colleague in work, whatever it might be, you get taken down by this thing. Like a giant, well, how are you going to defeat it? Not by a sling and a stone or the law. You're going to defeat it by this love that's in your heart as a result of the Holy Spirit. You really are. This this love in you is going to defeat it for you as you access it, give it room, and let it outwork itself. Or it could be, you know, you're struggling with issues of success. You don't prefer others more than yourself. You feel insecure about that. Well, the love of God will lead you through even that aspect whereby you can truly think of others better than yourself. Like Paul said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. What's that? The expression of God's love in relationships to others, whereby you hold them in high esteem rather than trying to always be the center of attention. Finally, it could be this area of pride. 
These are common things. Things that are in all of our nature that need to be dealt with. And the one, the one attribute that deals with them so powerfully and wonderfully is this love that's been shared abroad in our hearts. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Let me finally give it to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I've read it most weeks. I'm going to read it again because I don't want us to think that this is not possible, what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. No, they are married together. Romans 5, verse 5. Paul says this. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who gives, who, who was given to us. The love of God, the same love that caused God to look on our world that was at enmity against Him. The same love that drew God's attention to our world when we were far from him, to send Jesus into it, to be that wonderful sacrifice, that bridge of life back to him. That same love is in our heart. The love of God is in us. And now, every life event outside of us becomes, becomes the opportunity for this miracle, this love to take opportunity with and see that life of Jesus powerfully manifest through us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray right now. And then we're going to sing. There's going to be lots of opportunity for this more excellent way to come out of us next week and beyond every single moment of every day, we have access to this way and we want to see it displayed. Lord, I pray for your people today. Lord, we've looked at your word. We've seen it and very often we can look at it and think, oh my goodness, I feel so far away from that. I, I, I feel incapable of ever living like that. I'm not patient. I'm impatient. I'm not kind. I get angry easily. I'm envious. I'm jealous. I'm boastful. I'm proud. Lord, we could all raise our hands up today and say, oh, we struggle with these issues. But Jesus, we thank you. We don't believe our feelings. We don't put our faith in any of that. We put our faith and our trust simply in what you have said, that your love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And now, Lord, we pray as we go forward into this next week and on beyond it, this will be our experience. This will be the outflow of our lives. And no matter what tough situations we find ourselves in, Lord, those will be the very means whereby we see this beautiful life of love flowing from us to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray as well. You may be here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You, you, you've maybe heard about Jesus. 
from a friend. But this love that we're talking about has never come to live in your heart. Do you know what? Jesus is just a prayer away. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Amen. Have you ever phoned somebody on the phone and got a voicemail or an engaged tone? Or you've rung a call center and been waiting for two hours to get through to an operator? That never happens with God. You call on the name of the Lord in faith, in trust, saying, Jesus, save me immediately immediately salvation comes a miracle begins and the holy spirit sheds abroad this love in your heart i'm going to pray right now this is a wonderful wonderful moment where a miracle begins and you enter into relationship with jesus christ your savior the one that loves you you may be at home watching you've never asked jesus into your heart love is going to come into your heart your search is going to end today we're going to pray just repeat these words nothing magical about the words but they're just going to help you maybe formalize your feelings and your faith as you place it in Jesus today quietly in your heart you can whisper this say Jesus I ask you to forgive me of my sins I believe that you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven, so I could be set free. You were judged so that I might not be judged. I believe in you. You died. I believe that you rose again. And now I want to have a relationship, a personal relationship with you from this moment on. I call on your name for salvation. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you're here. We would love to give you at the end of our service today, we'd love to give you maybe your first Bible, a little magazine that we've produced from uh, people within our church that have seen some incredible things in their lives as they place their trust in God. We'd love to give you that. You can just um, collect one of those on your way out from one of our team stewards at the door. Also, if you're watching online, you prayed that prayer. Listen, we would be honored again to send you a Bible, maybe your first Bible, one of our magazines. Why don't you just uh, send us an email? The details are on the screen below just as we're closing today, send us an email and we will get that out to you immediately. This week, you should have it. By the end of the week, certainly you should have it. We'd love to just be involved on your journey. And this is what we say. Listen, if this is the first day where you have received Christ as your Savior, keep coming back. We're part of the family of God together and it's wonderful just to know His presence in our lives. Amen. God bless you this morning, church. And listen, a great week ahead. A great, not a problem-free week, but those problems are the very means that God will use for his love to be displayed and seen in the world around you. God bless you. God bless.